We want to turn this evening to Luke chapter 17 and read some verses at the close of the chapter. Luke chapter 17, and we begin at verse 26, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll read from verse 26 to the end of verse 33, and then we'll bow for prayer. Luke chapter 17, verse 26, please. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Amen. Let's ask God once more for his help as we come to the preaching of his holy word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we stand now at this precious opportunity for the preaching of God's Word, for the clear explanation of the Gospel. We pray that as we consider this passage, in particular the character of Lot's wife, that you would give great help. I need the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord. I need it desperately. We do not look to any other source but to God Himself. We ask that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, would be with us this evening. I ask that He would help me, that He would enable me and carry me beyond myself. I ask that He would help the hearer and that He would apply the Word of God to their hearts and that the effectual call would be heard, that sinners would be rescued, that they would be brought to Christ and brought to safety. We ask that You would do all these things, for we ask them in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It has been said that those who fail to remember the past are bound to repeat it. Those who fail to remember the past are bound to repeat it. Now, I admit those of you who have a good memory may realize that there's a hint of irony in me beginning with those words, considering the text that I have chosen tonight, because this text was preached from this pulpit roughly six weeks ago. I wasn't here on that occasion, and this is the text the Lord has led me to. So, we will continue, and we'll come to look at the character of Lot's wife. Those who fail to remember the past are bound to repeat it. It's a statement that's generally true. But it's specifically true and particularly true of sinners who face the wrath of God, as all sinners do. If you fail to remember what has happened in the past, as you're presented with the record of God's Word and the judgment of sinners, then surely you are bound to repeat their mistakes. In Luke 17, the theme in the passage that we read, is the theme of judgment. This, the Lord speaks of the days of the Son of Man, and in verse 30 particularly, in the day when the Son of Man is revealed, the last day. As we are now in the last days, there is coming one final great day when the Lord will return, when the Son of Man will be revealed, and on that day there will be a great judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. 
And Jesus Christ, in verse 32, urges us to avoid the pitfall of failing to remember the past with these solemn words. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. We know very little about this woman. She is identified not even by her own name, but by the name of her husband. And some of what we'll consider tonight requires us to read into her husband's history and what we know of him. But she is held up before you, sinner, and before us all, as an example, a tragic example of someone who was lost when judgment came, who was guilty of the error that is described in verse 31, in that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away, and he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. That was the error of Lot's wife. And you, sinner, particularly this evening, I'm burdened for you, and I want you to give me your attention. Give your attention now to the Word of God and remember Lot's wife. I want you to turn back to the book of Genesis as we remember Lot's wife, because first of all, I want to show you that Lot's wife had all material wealth. She had all material wealth. The second reference in Scripture to those cities, quite famous cities called Sodom and Gomorrah, and the other cities nearby is found in Genesis 13. Let's look there at a few verses. Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 to 13, we'll read these verses together. Genesis 13, verse 10 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. In this chapter, we find that Abram, first of all, is very, materially speaking, very wealthy. He's rich in cattle and silver and in gold, we're told earlier in the passage. Lot was also wealthy, not quite to the same extent. We're told he had flocks and herds and tents. But they were both so wealthy that the land was, in verse 6, not able to bear them, for their substance was so great, so that they could not dwell together. And that's why we find Abram and Lot determining, through Abram's wisdom, really, to part ways. And Lot lifts up his eyes, and he chooses the well-watered plain of Jordan. You might ask, why? It's a simple answer. It's for the same reason that any of us would have chosen the well-watered plain of Jordan. It was going to make his life better. Lot, with his flocks and herds, of course, wanted the best ground that was available. He wanted to see his flocks and herds prosper, and so he chose the well-watered plain. That's a no-brainer. Living on the plain of Jordan was going to make him richer, maybe even as rich as Abram, his uncle, who he looked up to, and to whom he learned many, from whom he learned many things. And so, I say, it's the same reason any of us would choose the plain of Jordan, all other things being equal— Every single one of us would gladly accept the opportunity to live in a place that was so beautiful that God compares it in Genesis 10 and verse uh, 10, Genesis 13, verse 10, as the garden of the Lord, the garden of Eden. And so let's not condemn Lot for making a choice that we would all struggle to turn down, 
To choose to live in a place this beautiful is very understandable if all other things were equal, but all other things were not equal. Because in the plain of Jordan, there was a huge problem. This area of outstanding natural beauty had a massive eyesore, and the eyesore was Sodom, and the eyesore was a city called Gomorrah. In the plain of Jordan, these cities were renowned for their sin. Verse 13 of what we read in Genesis 13 says, The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Of course, there's sin everywhere. There's sin where you live and there's sin where I live, but these places were well beyond average. This was no normal city. This was no place to bring up a family. These were sin cities. Here's what the Bible says about these cities. We read Genesis 13. Let me read to you two other passages. Ezekiel 16 and 49 says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And in Jude, verse one, chapter 1, verse 7, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example. Now, as Lot lifts up his eyes on the plain of Jordan and makes this choice which will have deep consequences, long-lasting consequences for his family, you ask yourself, could such a place as Sodom and Gomorrah have existed in such a day of slow news and Lot not known about it? Could he really not have known what these places were like? I doubt it. I doubt that he didn't know anything about Sodom and Gomorrah and their wickedness before the Lord. And so, as a responsible child of God, Lot would have had to weigh up the pros and cons of, of living near this kind of city. But sadly, we find that his calculations ended up with him choosing to pitch his tent toward Sodom. Genesis 13, verse 12. He was near the city here, and it wasn't too long before he was in the city. Genesis 14, if you want to turn there, Genesis 14 and verse 12 tells us, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods. He's not in the tent anymore outside the city. He's right in. He's put down roots. He's left the tent, and he has a permanent home. And he's living in a place where there was wickedness before the Lord exceedingly. And he did it in order to prosper. He did it because it was naturally beautiful, because it was good for his flocks and herds, because he could become rich and live a comfortable lifestyle. This is the kind of man he was. And it was that decision to be near Sodom and then to be in Sodom that we, we believe led Lot to meet his wife. Because in Genesis 14 and verse 16, as Abram rescues Lot and his family from the capture by foreign kings, we read of women in the family of Lot. So this is the kind of setting that Lot's wife had. She has come into his life somewhere between his first arrival in the plain of Jordan and now in Genesis 14. He has met her, he has got married, and perhaps she's even from Sodom itself. And so when we remember at the command of Christ, Lot's wife, we remember first of all that she had all material wealth. She would have been perhaps one of the outstandingly wealthy women in that time. She was the wife of a man who prioritized wealth and was willing to put up with an unusual degree of sin in order to have it. A relevant comment on this from Matthew Henry is, in all our choices, this principle should overrule us. 
that that is best for us, which is best for our souls. Lot made a choice that turned out to be far from good for his soul and the souls of his family. This is the first thing we notice about Lot's wife. She had all material wealth. We also find that she had all gospel witness. Because in spite of his inconsistency, in spite of his bad decision to live in Sodom, Lot was a saved man. He did know God in a personal and real way. Here's how Peter describes Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2. Just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And you thank God, believer, when you read those words. Well, I do. That when I read these words, that the memory of the just is blessed. Because even with Lot's failures, Peter tells us here he is just, he's righteous, he's justified. And the evidence is that he was vexed by sin. There's evidence of the grace of God in his life. He was justified, and we thank God that the soul that is justified will also be glorified. And even though we have failed the Lord, as Lot did, even though at times we are unwise and we make poor decisions that are not good for our souls or the souls of our family, yet the memory of the just is blessed because Peter could speak of Lot thousands of years later and identify that he was just. Lot's wife had all gospel witness. Her husband was a just man, a righteous man. The Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. Lot had faith. And we see works that grew out of faith here in Genesis 19, where we read from at the start of our meeting this evening. In Genesis 19 and verse 1, it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. These two men were strangers in Sodom. They were different. And we know from the sordid events of this chapter what followed and what the men of Sodom wanted to do, that these two men were very conspicuously different. They stood out. And they were noticed by the men of Sodom, who had no intention of doing them any good, only harm, But Lot, a just man, insists and pressed them to be allowed to show them hospitality and to bring them into his home. He would not take no for an answer. And here's a just man living amongst wicked men who's vexed by sin, and he sees the opportunity to do good to the servants of God, and he jumps at the opportunity, and he won't take no for an answer. Evidence of his heart being right before the Lord. Evidence of his faith manifesting itself in works. And so Lot's wife had this kind of man for a husband. She was the wife of a just man. And this was an incredible privilege in her life. Let's remind ourselves what kind of era Lot and his wife lived in. There was no written scripture. There was no established religion with open evangelism. There was only God's favor to individuals and particularly to the family of Abraham And it was by God's grace, when God called Abram to leave his home, that Genesis chapter 12 records for us, and Lot went with him. This man had been privileged to be the nephew of faithful Abraham, who has given the title, the friend of God. And as God ordered the lives of Abraham and of Lot in his sovereign, gracious workings, he gave Lot the opportunity to hear the promise 
at the call of God to leave home. And Lot went with him. Lot believed the promise of God to Abraham, and Lot went with him. Lot was a righteous man. So Lot's wife had all available gospel witness. She had married a man who knew God, who had the revelation of God to his uncle Abraham passed to him verbally. And the gospel witness is demonstrated by the way that Lot tried to lead his home and teach his children. If you look at Genesis 19, and we read through the passage, although for time's sake we didn't read it all tonight. First of all, we're given the impression that Lot and his wife were in a faithful marriage because she simply described to us as Lot's wife. Think about where she was living. Would the marriages in Sodom have been models of good marriages? I don't think so. But Scripture describes her to us as Lot's wife, and he as her husband. There's implied a solid and faithful marriage. That's the effect of the gospel. That's the effect of grace from God. We also see the impact of the gospel witness and the grace of God in the fact that two of their daughters were married, which in such a promiscuous and in such a place where fornication was so common shouldn't be taken for granted. God had been good, and God had enabled Lot to teach his family what was right. We also see the influence of God in Lot's family in the fact that another two daughters were described by Lot as they have not known man. By God's grace, two young women, unmarried, were still pure virgins in a city known for sexual impurity. God had enabled them to remain pure. God had been good to Lot's family. And Lot's wife was part of all this. She had been blessed by God. She was divinely favored with all gospel witness. All that was available on the face of the earth at that time was known by her. She knew the need of her soul. She knew that she needed to be right with God. She knew that she was a sinner and that it was only by covenant, gracious covenant working, that she could be saved, that she could be a friend also of God. You know this as well. You have all gospel witness. Lot's wife had it. So do you. We thirdly see when we consider Lot's wife and remember Lot's wife is that she had all necessary warnings. What we know of her life is really focused on the end of it and how she responded to these warnings. We'll come to that in a few moments. Look with me at Genesis 19 and let's read verses 4 to 9. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do you unto them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. We'll pause the reading there. The angels intervene, and they spare Lot from the horrible intentions of these men of Sodom. 
but we're thinking about how Lot's wife had all necessary warning. What's she seeing here in Genesis 19, 4 to 9? She's witnessing her house guests, these two different holy visitors, being the object of the lustful and violent intentions of the men of Sodom. She would have heard, no doubt with horror, as her compromised and helpless husband Lot can come up with no other alternative solution but to offer his own two pure daughters to these filthy sinners. She heard it all. And then she heard the men of Sodom turn on Lot, though he had been living there for years, though he was a wealthy, prosperous, and in some senses, perhaps many senses, popular man. She heard them turn on him. For he was known by his conversation to be just. The men weren't long in pointing out the difference between them and Lot. And she heard them threaten to do even worse to Lot than they had intended to do to the men. You know, Lot's wife had always known deep down what kind of city Sodom was. She always knew the sins that were practiced there, the depth of iniquity that people were guilty of. But now she has the beasts roaring at her own house door. Now she has them calling for her own family to be their prey. She would always have, I assume, had relations who were perhaps guilty of the sins of Sodom. She had those in her extended family who were guilty of these sins, and maybe for many years she turned a blind eye, but she can't do that now. She can't sail through her own comfortable, well-heeled life, ignoring the filth any longer, because now it's thrown in her face. She's seen and heard very graphically the threats of the wicked against the just. She's heard, as the psalmist puts it, wicked men gnashing on Lot with their teeth. And after all that, pay attention to the timing. After all that, Lot's wife then receives all necessary warning of God's judgment. She heard these men, these angels say in Genesis 19 and verse 13, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. I want you to notice how she reacts to the warning or rather the absence of any recorded reaction in the scripture because there's no sign that she was encouraging her husband Lot to obey the men. Look at verse 16, and while he lingered, while he lingered, I'm going to make a generalization here, but aren't women usually more risk-averse than men? Your home may be different to mine, but I find in my experience that it's usually a man's wife who's urging him to be careful. Usually the woman is more risk-averse. Now, Lot is the head of the home. The buck stops with him. He was lingering when he should have been leading. But there's not one recorded protest from his wife. After all she has seen, the filth and the wickedness and the hatred of the, the, the people of Sodom towards her own family, and now she's been warned to get out, and there's not a word. She had all necessary warnings. She doesn't appear to be paying any attention to them. The warning was repeated, verse 17, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou on all the plain. I want you to look at verse 16 and notice these words, the Lord being merciful unto him. Do you know when Lot's wife received these warnings about coming judgment, God was being merciful and that's what he is being to you now? You who is still unsaved, 
You're not in Christ. You haven't accepted his offer of mercy. You haven't accepted his free salvation. You're being, once again, mercifully warned of coming judgment. You're being reminded, once again, to remember Lot's wife because she made this terrible mistake. You'll see that these warnings were also very reasonable because what they were telling Lot's wife to do was simply to save her life. Escape for thy life. Not an unreasonable command. Not telling her to do anything that would really cost her anything. She ultimately would gain. She would preserve her own life if she would simply obey and get out of Sodom. She stood to gain much more than she stood to lose. The warning was merciful and it was reasonable and it was so urgent. It was said not once but twice and after the second time they were taken by the hand and they were led towards safety. They were physically removed from the city and they were pointed in the direction of safety and told, go and don't look back. Finally, now we find Lot moving. And in verse 17, Lot, his wife, and their daughters are all together, having been brought out of the city by the two angels. And then in verse 23, we learn that Lot has reached the place of safety, just as the sun is rising upon the earth. Lot obeyed. He heeded the warning. He made many mistakes before. He was unwise. But he now listens to the warning. And he's in the place of safety. He journeyed all the way across the plain as he had been told. He did not look back as he had been told. And he got to the city called Zoar. He obeyed the Lord. He demonstrated himself to be a just man. He loved God and therefore he obeyed the command of God. Especially such a merciful and reasonable and urgent command as you are receiving now, sinner. Lot obeyed and he was safe. But where's his wife? Where's his life's companion? The one who should have been beside him, who not long before was beside him. We now find in verse 26, his wife looked back from behind him. She was lagging behind. She didn't think that it was really that urgent that she would go from the plain to the place of refuge. That day, after all, appeared to be like every other day. The sun was rising. The message that those angels came with was not a message that was often heard, or maybe, who knows, ever heard in Sodom. And like a crazy, a crazy fool with a sandwich board with gospel texts walking up the high street of a metropolitan city must seem to the people going about their shopping and their work and their business. That's what the angels' message seemed like to the people of Sodom. And Lot's wife, as we will see, was very much a person of Sodom. She didn't believe them. And so she dragged her heels. She didn't believe that God was really going to judge. And as the day broke and as she looked around her and saw the sun coming up over the plains of Jordan, she had, as far as she was concerned, more reasons not to believe. The city was stirring. Maybe she could hear the place coming to life. There was no sign of judgment. She probably had business to attend to. After all, they were wealthy people. Maybe she had visitors coming around. Maybe she had plans to go to the market. Can't see them observing the Lord's Day in Sodom. Something made her slow down. 
Something made her disobey the repeated warnings. And she looked back from behind him. You see, the problem was that Lot's wife loved her sin. Her heart was still in Sodom. That is where the things that she truly loved resided. And as we're told in 1 John, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And now Lot's wife's heart has been revealed for all to see. She's been shown to be a person who loves the world. Something made her disobey. She was filled with unbelief. Approximately one kilometer off the coast of Normandy in northern France, there is a little island called Mont Saint-Michel. That's my best effort. Maybe being from Balmain, I should call it Mount St. Michael and say, leave well enough alone. It's tiny. It's dominated by a large, ornate abbey, and it's extremely popular with tourists. Every year, there are three million visitors on this tiny rock off the coast of Normandy. I can only imagine how many drone videos and Instagram posts there are of this place. It is beautiful. And if you visit Mont Saint-Michel, you will be well warned by signs written in five languages about the danger of the dramatic rise and fall of the tides. The average difference between high tide and low tide in that place is 14 meters. That's huge. And when the tide comes in, it comes very, very quickly. In places, it's up to 30 kilometers an hour. That's faster than you can run. Quite a lot faster. But in spite of all the signage and all the precautions and all the necessary warnings for what people should and should not do, every year, three people drown at this place. Every year, without fail. And you have to then wonder, if you think about how people act, if three are drowned, how many more were rescued from drowning? If three drowned, how many more had a close shave and how many more were tempted to run the risk just to get a nice picture? This is what people are like. We don't pay attention to warnings. We don't pay attention to warnings even of a danger of a treacherous tide, something that's tangible that we can see, something that we can hear perhaps coming over the sand. And if people are willing to disregard that kind of warning, how much more often will people disregard warnings of judgment that is yet unseen, of which there is no physical evidence as far as they are concerned? You see, that is the message that Jesus Christ was trying to get across in Luke 17. Go back there with me, please. Luke 17. Read verses 26 and 27. It says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It came so suddenly, faster than they could get away from, without any warning, it came. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He warned them, and he warned them faithfully as he built that ark. That was a long project, and they had lots of opportunities, but they didn't believe him. They were unwilling. And Luke 17, verses 28 and 29 tells us of the story that we considered this evening. But, of the same, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And in verse 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. What were people doing? What were they so preoccupied with that they wouldn't listen to the warnings? They did eat, 
they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. And despite the example of Lot, a just man, and despite the intercession of Abraham for Sodom and Gomorrah when the Lord told him of his intentions to judge, it was all destroyed. This place that was filled to the brim with earth's natural benefits, a beautiful place, well-favored, well-watered, but this place that sadly was filled with every variety of sin and perversity, it was destroyed. It was all destroyed. And now look at Luke 17 and verse 30. And sinner, I want you to think and listen very, very carefully because this verse is about you. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Those are the days that you live in. You're in the days when the Son of Man shall be revealed. And the Lord Jesus Christ, even thus shall it be, he says. And a moment ago, I slipped because I said something about keeping the Lord's day. And that's because when I got up this morning and we were coming down the road, I could hear somebody over the fields busy with an angle grinder. And the shops were open and everyone was out buying and selling and having their nice leisure time on a Sunday before they go back to start the weekly grind. Everyone was getting along with eating Drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. No thought for God. Not heeding the warnings of God concerning the coming judgment. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so, sinner, I'm talking about you. Because as yet you haven't heeded the warning. You haven't gotten into the place of refuge, namely Jesus Christ. You're still risking the judgment of God. And the judgment is coming. You may not hear any sign of it. You can't see any sign of it with your eyes, but you have all gospel witness. You have the Word of God, the full canon of Scripture, undeniably true, with all the evidence that has been provided to us by the fulfillment of its prophecies and the life of Jesus Christ and His resurrection from the dead and the testimony of all these believers, all those who have been saved whose lives have been changed, and you're ignoring it all. You've been told to escape for your life, but you're dragging your heels. Sure, you're here, you're associated with God's people, but you haven't come to Christ. You're outside the city gates, perhaps. You're not in the heart of the world's wickedness through the influence of some godly person in your family or your friend group, but you haven't trusted Christ. And you're in danger of looking back. Your heart's still in Sodom. And to you, Jesus Christ says, remember Lot's wife. Remember her, this preeminent example of a person who lost everything. Who was so close to being delivered. When you sit in the pew, and you have mentally checked out, Christ says, remember Lot's wife when you feel no real affinity with the message or the messengers of God, as we would assume Lot's wife was towards the angels, when you can't really care less for the people who are coming to speak to you, Christ calls out for your attention urgently and mercifully and says, remember Lot's wife. She lost everything. And when you enjoy sin, for that was her downfall, she loved her sin, she loved the world, Despite your identification with people who may hate sin, 
with people who have been called to be separate from sin, in spite of your identification with those people, you still enjoy sin, don't you? You still have a secret longing for it. You turn around and look back to it, as it were. To you, the Lord Jesus Christ says, remember Lot's wife. This nameless woman who was so privileged, who had all the witness that was available to her, let me impress on you again how privileged she was and how privileged you are. Do you have any credible doubts as to the truth of Scripture? Can you make any convincing arguments as to why Jesus Christ is not real and He is not who He says He is? I'll answer the question for you. No, you can't. And so when you refuse Him, it's because you love your sin. You would rather have your sin. That's what Lot's wife did. And to you, the Lord says, remember Lot's wife. Don't make her mistake. Let me leave you with one verse of Scripture. Jesus Christ's warning. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. God has provided a place of safety. It's the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Come to Him. Run to Him now. Escape for your life. And heed the warning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's bow in prayer at the close of the meeting. Our Father in heaven, we come to Thee now in the attitude of prayer, and Lord, we want to take these moments to sincerely, Lord, with all our hearts to pray for the unsaved. We, Lord, call the attention of heaven to their lost state, their sins, their need to be forgiven, their need to be redeemed. Lord, we ask you to look with mercy on those who have rejected Christ so far, in spite of all that they know, all they've been taught, all the warnings they've been given over and over again. Lord, may this be the day of salvation for them. May they understand that today is the day of salvation, that they must come now, that there is no other time guaranteed to them, and that judgment comes suddenly, that the day of grace will come to an end. Oh Lord, we ask your blessing upon the Word of God tonight. We ask that you would be gracious, that you would glorify your own holy name in the salvation of sinners. Lord, we will give you all the glory. We will give you all the praise, for we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.